0: amen. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. Let's take our Bible, if you would, and uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter number 2 and then Philippians chapter 3, and uh, this Easter is a little bit different, um, at least to me. Uh, Normally, I'm preaching three or four weeks leading up to Easter, and uh, we have not done that necessarily. We've preached three or four weeks leading into the gospel, which, as we said last week, is the Easter story. Easter is not about uh, all the other fluff and uh, kind of trivial things. It's about the gospel, and so in a very different but very appropriate way, we've been Focus uh, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that being said, I feel like I've got to make up some ground this morning. And uh, so I'm going to preach three different times. Uh, normally, Sunday school has its own kind of flavor and flair, and we're doing a verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And we're not doing that this morning. I'm kind of trying to lay some groundwork around this word right here. Uh, and we'll be spending, like I said, all day in Sunday school main service and evening service uh, uh, surrounded by this idea of the authority of Jesus Christ. And so um, I want us to lean into that because it's truly what Easter is all about. Now, each and every Easter year, churches are kind of faced with the, uh, the, I don't know, the temptation or maybe even responsibility, I'm not sure which one of those two words is right, um, faced with this temptation or responsibility of attracting people to houses of worship on Easter. And they do it many different colorful ways. Not all of them are wrong, but not all of them are right either. And uh, sometimes they'll emphasize, you know, hey, come and be with the family on Easter, or, come and have fun on Easter. And, and there's, there's maybe some room for some of that, um, but really Easter is not about family, and Easter is certainly not about fun. Easter is actually about authority. Oh. Easter is entirely about authority. Now, I remember years ago, I received a brochure. I was here in Bakersfield. I just kind of moved uh, to Bakersfield. It was my, maybe my second Easter, and uh, we got a brochure from one of the churches. You probably have gotten some of those in your mail, but I got this picture uh, uh, on the, on this this four-by-six card, and it was, a, I kid you not, it was like the Terminator, and it was a picture of some big buff dude, and it said, everyone loves a comeback story, and that was their advertisement for Easter, that uh, this was some, you know, heroic comeback story, but I, I, as, as though Jesus, and Now let me be fair we all do enjoy a comeback story do we not we enjoy you know the the guy who's got the character and the heart and he gets beaten against the ropes and you know he's all down and out and and you know against all odds he comes back and fights his way back to the victor's podium and stands triumphant and that's a comeback story but that's not what easter is easter wasn't jesus being beaten against the ropes against his will You understand that's a huge difference. Can I emphatically state on the front end of Easter this morning that the cross was 100% the will of the Father. God was entirely and the Son was entirely in charge. And yes, Jesus was bruised, but it pleased the Father, as Isaiah 53 says. And sure, Jesus was physically beaten, but he remained entirely sovereign with every single blow of that hammer. He was entirely in charge, his authority entirely intact. And so uh, you're you're there in Acts chapter 2, talking back to this idea of of a comeback story. Easter is not about Jesus losing and then somehow against the odds coming back. Did you know that the odds were actually impossibly in his favor? Okay, so a comeback story is, hey, you know, the little guy gets beaten up and against all odds, he manages to win anyway. Did you know that the odds were impossibly stacked in the favor of Jesus? And I'll show you. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Acts chapter 2, verse number 24 says this, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Please, would you read just out loud with me the last part of verse 24? Ready, begin. Because it was not possible. That he should be holding of it, chew on that for a moment it wasn 't Jesus beating the odds on Easter. In fact, the odds were impossibly in his favor it wasn 't possible that the grave could even hold him at his burial. That grave, that tomb had not near enough power to contain his deity. It wasn't, excuse me, it wasn't possible for it to hold him. The only reason he stayed there three days is because by his own will and volition, he chose a predetermined amount of time. For three days, he would remain in the grave. But not for three days, death had power over him. His authority was entirely still intact. And, and Jesus dethroned, and this is what we're gonna spend a lot of time on, dethroned what once ruled indisputably over man, the grave. You think about it. Well, there are only two things in life that are sure, death and taxes. Really? Now, we, we say that because throughout all of history, and I don't want to steal too much of my, my next hour's introduction, but we say that because no one conquers death. It's, it has reigned undefeated, undisputed, in, 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 in absolutely uh, unconquerable ways over all of humanity until Jesus. Until Easter, and so Easter's not a comeback story as much as it is about Jesus' authority. We were taking back dominion uh, over uh, of death over all of humanity. <coughs> Excuse me. So his power and authority were entirely intact. Listen, and here's another key word: it was entirely intact in the way he chose. Underline that word in your mind. To suffer, he chose all of it. He chose every bit of the suffering that you and I remember as we approach the Easter season from the cross to the empty grave. But even beyond that, Easter has a powerful way, and I'm grateful for it. Now, would you look at Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 10? I'll give you a second to turn there. But Easter has this beautiful, powerful way of forcing our perspective to the cross. And it it ought to. It ought to cause us to remember. We ought to take time and think about and cast our mind to Calvary, as the song says, But I want you to know that the cross was not the only suffering Jesus chose to endure. Now, Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 10, kind of gives us this beautiful summary of what the cross and the life and death of Jesus was. Philippians 3.10, we know this verse. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so in the most beautiful possible way, Jesus is the perfect mixture of, listen... Power and suffering. See, a lot of times when we think about the cross, we think about suffering. We think about Jesus, uh, his hands spread wide, and, and the spear in his side, and the, the blood running down. And we think about suffering, but we fail sometimes, maybe not often, and certainly not in every way. But we might be guilty of just, uh, just focusing on the suffering, and we fail to realize what power hung on that cross. What authority hung on that cross? That he wasn't being beaten down, but he was laying down. He wasn't being pinned to a cross. He was opening his arms willingly. And so there needs to be a balance in our mind as we approach Easter this week that it's not just suffering, but that it's also perfect, intact authority and power. And we need to know him in that balance. And yes, thank God there is a cross, but there is the power of the resurrection. Yes, there is fellowship in his sufferings, but there is the power of knowing that his authority was and is and always will be fully intact in and through the cross that he uh, died on for us. Now, I know that's already a lot to digest by way of introduction, but I want to add one more balance, uh, one more thing to the balance scales, if you will. Sometimes as we approach Easter, we focus Intently on a three-day block of time because it was, as the Bible refers to it, his passion. There was a lot of suffering and a lot of power displayed. But sometimes we fail to realize there were 33 years displayed of power and suffering. 33 years of this perfect mixture of Jesus' willful decisions, and through those willful decisions coming the suffering of humanity and life and sin upon him. And so this morning, I want to take just some time and give you three areas where we see this beautiful picture of power and suffering. So number one, we're going to start here, and I'm going to have you go over to jo- oh, let's. I'll go to Job, you go to Psalm 144. Three areas in the life of Jesus Christ. And yes, we'll get to his death, but we're not going to necessarily focus on that this morning uh, or even this week. That kind of, we understand that. We'll talk about that. But for this morning's message, I want to show you three areas that Jesus suffered in power that doesn't necessarily relate to his cross. So, number one, we see in his incarnation, he chose to become a human. Now, that is a powerful choice to suffer. You realize that, right? That when God would choose of his own will and volition, he would make the choice to become a frail, fragile, breakable, bleeding, weeping human. That was a choice of suffering. But it was a choice of his own authority and power, and we can't miss that. Now, I've used this illustration before, and and it is a little silly, but it's silly for a purpose. If you had two goldfish in a bowl, and these two goldfish were were sick, and they were fighting with each other, and they weren't getting along, and, and, and the only way to save them was for you to become a goldfish, none of us would do it. But I want you to understand, that's silly. The difference between me and a goldfish would be here. The difference between me and the creator God of the universe is a far bigger gap than the difference between you and a goldfish. And God chose to bridge that gap of his own choice. God chose as, as, as authority and power to come and take on the form of a servant to suffer and to die and despise that shame and endure that cross. He chose at the incarnation, which was before history, but at the incarnation he made a willful decision to come and to suffer. And this idea is actually, actually captured in a very, very common phrase throughout the Bible. Um, the phrase is the son of man. This is used 43 times in direct reference to Jesus in the gospel gospel accounts. In fact, it's the title Jesus gave himself more than any other title. When Jesus would refer to himself, he would say, the son of man hath power. Uh, The son of man did this, and he's talking of himself. It's the title he gave himself. And it actually denotes, the the phrase uh, son of man denotes human frailty. Now, I'll show you. You're in Psalm 144. I'm going to read Job 25, 6. It says, How much less uh, man than uh, that is a worm, and the son of man, which is a worm. Job, in his suffering, says, I'm just a human being. I'm just a child of a man. I'm just the son of humanity, and I suffer like a worm. Now, Psalm 144, look at verse number three, says, Lord, what is man? that thou takest knowledge of him. He says, God, you're so high and exalted that you would have to condescend yourself so low that you would even take knowledge of man. Or the son of man, that thou makest account of him. He says, the son of man is so low that it would take God such condescension to even take account or knowledge of man. Verse number four, man is like to vanity. His days is a shadow that passeth away. Isaiah tells us that the Son of Man is like grass and that he's temporary and that he'll wither with the noon sun. And Jesus chose, listen to me, that for you. He chose to take on a human body in his authority and, yes, in his suffering, in that power and suffering. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it this way, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Listen, no investor would ever make that, that, that change. No, no investor would ever make that swap where here is the riches of Jesus and he made himself poor so that you and I could somehow be made rich through the grace and uh, sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice. He laid down all of his riches, all of his power, most of his glory, and forgive me, not all of his power, uh, most of his glory, uh, and, and he came and he suffered as a human being in our place to step into a broken world that would literally hate him to the cross. Now listen, don't be overly narrow in your view of Easter and assume that the cross was the only or even primary. It wasn't the primary source of suffering. The shame that became him was the primary source of suffering. The Bible says he endured the cross, but he despised the shame. As the father, the Bible says, forsook his son, this, this break in fellowship, you think about what, what the wages of sin is, it's, it's death, but it's also death in the terms of separation from God. And some churches will say, well, hell is just separation from God. I would say hell is separation from God, but it's not just separation from God. And Jesus was separated from his Father in those moments on the cross. And that was by his choice. That's what makes Easter so powerful. That's what makes it all about authority, is that all of this was his choice. At the incarnation, he chose to take upon him the form of the Son of Man. And there is immense suffering in his choice to become us. But there is also amazing power in it as well. As you'll see later on in 1 Corinthians 15, as we'll march through that in the 11 and the 6 o'clock hour, that Adam brought death and so a second Adam brought life. He had to become man for us to undo the curse that man brought upon themselves. But there's a powerful prophecy also attached to the idea of the Son of Man. Would you take your Bible real quick and uh, let, let me have you go to Romans 5 and I'll go to Daniel 7. If you'd like to write down the reference, Daniel 7 verse 13 through 14 is where I'm going to going. to read, but you're going over to Romans 5, talking about the prophecy of the Son of Man. We saw it denotes frailty, but it also denotes prophecy. Daniel 7.13 says this, Daniel in, in Babylon saw these visions, he says, I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him, and he was given, the Son of Man was given him dominion and glory, and a kingdom, and all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Daniel, looking at the prophecy of the Son of Man, said, somehow, some way, the Son of Man, a, a frail human, is going to be given this power and dominion over all people, and all creation, in power and suffering. And Jesus became a man to conquer what man had brought upon himself. And this is similar to what we'll find tonight in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But Romans 5.17 says this. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Now I really want you to lean into that word reigned. That's going to be a word that's going to denote authority. And death had authority. Notice the past tense there. Death had authority. And death reigned by one. In another passage, I think it's in the same chapter. I think it might be in chapter 4. The Bible says that death reigned from Adam. Okay, So it says, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So we are given that same glorified body. And come back tonight, the whole chapter is about that. The last part of first, uh, chapter 15, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. To condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life, that power through his suffering. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, that Son of Man, shall many be made righteous. So Easter, it's not about fun. It's not about trivial. We don't need a grown man dressed in an Easter bunny uh, costume to enjoy Easter. We need to recognize Easter is about authority. It's about God choosing of his own will and power to become a man who would suffer. Praise God for that. Notice, secondly, he chose to suffer for us. Yes, like I said, we won't necessarily spend a lot of time on that. It'll be woven throughout the scripture. But he chose to suffer not just for us, but he chose to suffer with us. Now listen, in his choice to become a man, he inherited physical limitations and the thorns that man had incurred by their disobedience in the garden. Jesus hungered, and he sweat, and he bled. And he had soreness of labor. And he had physical and and mental points of exhaustion and even breaking. In this decision, he became our high priest who was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And we'll see more about that in the last point this morning. But he chose our broken frame and the thorns that came with it. Not only did he choose it, and this is going to sound like I'm talking in circles, but it's not. Not only did he choose it, he chose not to escape it. Now I, I give you some some clarity on this. This isn't a circular statement. Let me explain. Let's play a quick game. Let's take a view, a cosmic view of the world like Jesus has. And you look down and you see rich and you see powerful and you see influential people. Uh, and, and now Jesus has made, and obviously through eternity past, he'd already made the decision. He would come to man and rescue man. He would come to earth as the son of man. But let me ask you real quick. What is necessary for salvation? In Pardon in the oversimplification, but let's, let's kind of boil it down to really the basic level. What would be necessary? Well, he would need to be the seed of woman. Okay, there's the other prophecies that associate with that. Born in a certain city in a certain time and so forth but he'd have to be the seed of woman he'd have to live sinlessly he'd have to die sinlessly as a sacrifice for us and give his blood he'd have to rise again now that's what's needed and again pardon the oversimplification but here's where I'm going if you and I sat in this uh, this, if we were writing the story Jesus is writing we would fill in the other details differently and what I mean by that is he didn't have to grow up poor to to be a savior he could have grown up rich He he could have been born in the palace. He could have, any of the other stuff about life, he could have wrote into his story, but he didn't. He was born in a carpenter's home. He wasn't born into wealth. Uh, He was was born in a stable, not in some comfortable, important place. He was born in some of, or he lived in some obscure village called Nazareth. He didn't come to affluence. He didn't come to power when he came down. He came as a baby in in a manger, in a stable, in a poor city, in a poor family by his own choice. Prophecy didn't necessarily dictate all of those things. But Jesus chose weakness. He chose no leadership, but rather the form of a servant. He walked everywhere. He didn't have a caravan leading him. He had no place to lay his head. Now, let me ask you kind of a hypothetical, and it's certainly, it's not possible. That's why I call it a hypothetical. Jesus could have led like Moses did. Moses led from the palace. Moses was reared in the palace and given instruction and authority, and then he led God's people out. There's nothing, there's really not much. I just say, I don't know, I can say nothing. But Jesus could have come and been born in Caiaphas' house and been the sacrifice for sin. But he chose to not escape the hardships of your life and mine. Why? So he could be tempted in all points like us. So he could know what weakness felt like. So he could know what hunger felt like. He didn't just come and, and, and land in a family with a silver spoon and get every need he ever had. No, he came and he chose a difficult path because he wanted to be our high priest touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Not only did he choose to become human, he chose to become fully human, to be hungry and tired, to be concerned, to be lonely. Probably the single most lonely human being who ever walked this planet would have been Jesus. You ever think about that? No one understood him. Can you imagine being, Can you imagine the teenage years of Jesus as his brothers do not get him, do not understand him? Do not believe him. You imagine the loneliness that that would have been—to yeah. be tempted and mistreated and misunderstood. To be uh, then, then later, uh, uh, having God uh, forsake him. And he suffered with us, not just for us. And that's powerful. We can't just jump to the cross and say, yeah, there it is. There's salvation. Yes, there is salvation. But there is a life of perfection and power and suffering leading all the way to the cross. And we have to take this holistic view of who Jesus is because it makes the cross make more sense. And it makes the grave and the conquering thereof make more sense. Power and suffering in regards to his humanity. His choice to become the son of man. His choice and willingness to suffer with us. And then lastly this morning, number three, would you go to Hebrews chapter four? We've referenced it a few times. I want you to see it now. Jesus in his humanity, here's the power and the suffering. Jesus in his humanity, his physical form, overcame the fallen nature. And that's powerful. Without it, there is no salvation. If Jesus was Aaron, right? And Aaron was a good high priest. But Aaron would go in year over year making sacrifice for the people, but also for himself. If he was Aaron, his sacrifice wouldn't have been sufficient. If he had not lived a sinless life, his sacrifice would have been for his own own sins. But Jesus in his humanity, his physical form, 100% man, overcame what you and I couldn't. And this is where authority comes in. This is where death would reign, but now it's been placed on Jesus. And now we reign with him as we've been buried with him. Now we are made alive with him. It's this beautiful full picture. You've got to be here for each service today to capture. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. He said, don't let it go. Verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted in his physical body, like as we. We have a physical body, we have a flesh. Jesus had a physical flesh as well, and he, he was tempted like we were yet without sin. What a powerful, suffering God we serve, that he would subject himself to temptation. I, I, <laughs> Here's the God of eternity past, the Almighty, being tempted with bread, being tempted with the kingdoms of the world, uh, being tempted, something he himself would never have had to experience, but by his own choice, he chose to suffer with us. Listen to me when I say this. This is so crucial, and it's not new, but it is is basic and it's important. When you and I pray through this life, he understands. You know... I read through the passage where the scripture says, you know, when our spirit doesn't know how to pray, Jesus makes intercession for us. There aren't a lot of times in life that I don't know how to pray, and I would submit probably the same thing for you. For the most part, you're saying, hey, Lord, this is what I want. This is maybe what I need. Hey, there's this sickness in our family. Hey, there's a circumstance. But have you ever come to a place where maybe you love someone who's suffering and you don't know how to pray? Lord, heal him, or Lord, would you take him? And we don't know what to do. He understands. He understands that position. He always knew what to do, right? He's God. And he was tempted in those moments, but he he handled them perfectly. And when when we go through those moments, he's there with us. He understands the human experience. He understands. He cried the same tears you and I cried. Uh, He understood temptation to feel upset when the Father had forsaken him. I don't know if you've ever felt abandoned in your life, but no one has ever been abandoned in that moment like Jesus was. Jesus has walked every road we have and he did it all in the same tangible broken body you and I have. And what's powerful, yes, that's suffering, but what's powerful is that he did it perfectly. And he did it without sin. And think with me on this fact. Even with all of that authority, that power, he still invites you and I to come to him boldly. He's still an approachable God and an approachable high priest who is touched by all of those same feelings and infirmities. We have a God who knows us because he He became one of us. He faced the cold nights. He walked in the heat of the desert. He had friends abandon him. He had family issues, many family issues. Uh, He went uh, went without. He had to pay taxes. Uh, He was despised and rejected. He was mocked and made fun of. He was misunderstood and mistreated. And so here is really the, the final closing thoughts as we move in to the next hour. If Jesus conquered it all, why is our heart afraid of these things? Why do we so fear the things Jesus put under his authority? Because it's all about authority. It's all about Jesus taking what death once held in reigning from Adam to Moses and Moses beyond. Death un, uh, <coughs> Excuse me, unbreakable, unchallengeable, death reigning. And yet Jesus overthrew it. Jesus overcame it. And 1 Corinthians 15 paints this beautiful picture. There's this problem happening in Corinth where, yeah, they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but there's no resurrection of the dead. We're all going to nothing. And and, and Paul asks him this question. He says... If Christ be not raised, he says, then what hope do we have? But because he is raised, everything is under his foot. Everything in this kingdom will be brought below his authority. And the Bible says this, and we'll see it tonight. You've got to be here. He says, and the last of all authorities is death. And he takes it and he puts it under his feet. And he, the Bible says, and I think it's verses, <coughs> excuse me, it's toward the end there in verses 40 something or other. The Bible says once he subjects all these things, he gives the kingdom back to the Father, and it's over. And he reigns. So why does my heart fear what he's already defeated and conquered? Why do I worry about the brokenness and suffering of this life the way that I do? Why am I so concerned about death or why am I so concerned about suffering or why am I so concerned about all of these variables of the human condition when Jesus has already conquered them and he tells me that I'm going to reign with him. That authority he took from death, he took from me too. Death doesn't even have power over my own mortal body. Someday if the Lord tarries his coming, I'll be put in the ground. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this whole thing. I'll be put in the ground, but I won't stay there. And so if death is not the end, then life is not scary. Life doesn't have power. If death doesn't have power, then this life isn't as powerful as oftentimes we give it. And so I want to submit to us this morning, as we're going to close here in just, uh, just a second, we might be out uh, maybe five minutes early for, for uh, the, the coffee corner, but I want to submit to you that I want you to think differently this week about Easter. Easter, yes, is about suffering. And yes, there is a cross, and yes, there was blood, and yes, there were nails, and yes, there was a crown of thorns, but every single step of that, cro- that road to the cross was done in absolute authority. He says it in so many different ways. He could have called ten legions of angels. He could have ended it. The Bible says that he laid down his life. We'll read that verse in the next hour. And no man took it from him. He has the power to lay it down and to take it back up. Authority is what we are looking at when you and I see the cross and when you and I see Easter. Let's pray.